He was the up-and-coming guy. He said, I was more zealous than my contemporaries, the guys who were kind of coming up in school with him. He was at the top of the class. He was the most learned, as we see, he was the most zealous. He attacked the church. But here's the thing. Everything he was doing in that zeal was because of the traditions of his fathers and not because of the truth of the Word of God. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 today. If you're not familiar with our ministry here at Calvary Chapel, we like to teach through the Bible verse by verse. We are teaching through the book of Galatians. We began it last week. Last week, as we began the teaching in the book of Galatians, I just kind of brought us into a little of the history and the background of what was going on. Paul and Barnabas were the missionaries who founded these churches in this region in uh, Galatia, which would be much like saying some churches that were founded in Lake County, that they were blessed by God to go in as the first missionaries and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people responded, people believed the uh, message that they preached of Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior. They received Christ as their Savior. Now, Paul and Barnabas, when they were done, they uh, went back to their home base in Antioch. And not Antioch, Illinois, but uh, over there in uh, the area of Syria. But they went back to their home place, home base there in Antioch, and Paul must have heard some reports because he then writes this letter to the churches that he had just previously founded, and it hadn't really been that long. It appears, because of his defense that we're looking at today in verse 11, it'll go all the way through chapter 2, but we're going to get to chapter 2 in the next few weeks. It appears that they were attacking his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But they were also bringing in a different gospel, as we looked at last week. They were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Simply said, in verse 4, we have a glimpse of the gospel where Paul said, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
the gospel that Jesus came, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, that he was seen by the brethren then. And then in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, and last of all, he was seen by me. Paul defending his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he began it in verse 1, as we read last week, as he has his introduction here, where he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I'm an apostle, but it wasn't because men laid hands on me. Even though later on, and we'll learn in chapter 2, that Peter, James, and John gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. There was an agreement that, as we'll see next week, Paul and Barnabas would be the apostles to the Gentiles, but the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, the 12 would be the apostles to the Jews. So Paul, defending his apostleship, this attack that has come upon the church, and there's really... You know, the apostleship takes some of the letter, but there is more so the attack against the church that he is more concerned with because he, in this gospel or in this epistle, tells us that we have freedom, we have liberty in Christ Jesus. And he just wants the church to know that we don't have to come under the bondage of religion. And many people think that churches are all about religion. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And we worship, yes, but we worship because Christ died and gave his life for us. And we have received the forgiveness of sin through that sacrifice on the cross. So Paul made the defense, began the defense actually last week when we looked in the first 10 verses about preaching a different gospel other than faith or salvation through Christ alone. And now he begins to defend his apostleship. In verse 11, it says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, My gospel is not of human origin. And today we have so many people saying that all religion is a result of just man's combined thinking and, you know, they got to hope in something. And so they figure out some type of religion, some type of thing that they can worship to give them hope in this world. And we know from Scripture, as I said earlier, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the thing is about religion The thing is about worshiping and man wanting to worship is that God has created us to be worshipers. We have been created to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ, but most of the world tend to worship other gods or worship themselves. All you have to do is go to the supermarket and see those who love to worship themselves when you go to the checkout lines and see all the pretty pictures of the pretty people. They're They're worshipers, and they're wanting you to worship, but they're wanting you to worship them. They're worshiping themselves, and they're thinking, well, I'm a pretty good little God, so you might as well worship me too. But God has designed us to worship, 
And it's not that man has created religion. God has designed us to worship, and man has distorted true worship and has therefore created these other forms of worship, either worshiping themselves or other false gods that they have made up in this world. He said it didn't come from man. I didn't learn it from man. I didn't receive it from man. I was taught it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is key for Paul's apostleship because go with me to Acts chapter 1. I believe it's verse 21. Here in this passage in the book of Acts, uh, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples who had walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, but betrayed the Lord and then afterwards hung himself because of his betrayal. After Jesus had ascended back to heaven, the 11 disciples then, the 11 apostles, said we need to pick one more. We need to have 12. And the reason for the 12 ties back to the Old Testament and the 12 tribes. In a sense, there's a disciple and an apostle for every tribe. They're the apostles to the Jews. They said we need to have 12, but this is the requirements for the 12. In verse 21, therefore, let these men, they picked two guys, and they were going to draw lots to pick one of these guys to take Judas's place. He said, therefore, let these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. We need a guy to take Judas's place. And Matthias would be that guy. But what they were saying was, in order to take his place, he had to be with us. He had to see Jesus get baptized by John in the Jordan three plus years earlier. But he also had to be with us that whole three-year block of period of time and then see the Lord ascend into heaven. This was the requirements that were laid down for the apostle, the one who would take Judas's place. And Paul now is an apostle, as he would say, I was born out of due time. But it's interesting to me, and I just, this just clicked this morning when I was teaching the teacher service. It takes me a while sometimes. What we learned there back in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, is that the disciples, the one that they chose to be the new apostle to take Judas's place, had to be with Jesus from his baptism until his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension to heaven. So there is over a three-year block of time. And as we go through this timeline in Paul's life, combining um, some of the other passages of Scripture, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that Paul says, after 14 years. Now, we know where Paul was for 10 years. And so there is a three to four year block of time in Paul's life where we will learn today that Paul hung out with Jesus. When he said, I didn't receive it from man, I didn't learn it from them, they didn't teach it to me, but it was, it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. It appears that Paul was in the presence of our Lord for the same period of time that the 12 was with the Lord, but when the Lord was in his physical bodily form. Paul spent this time, as we'll see in verse 17, in the area of Arabia, where he received the message, the gospel, the faith which he preached. So he didn't receive it from man. I didn't learn it from man. I learned it from Jesus Christ. Verse 13 tells us, For 
You have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more zealous, more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So Paul begins to tell about his former conduct. When I talk to people about being a Calvary Chapel pastor, so many know that many of the Calvary pastors have horrific backgrounds. I don't. I was saved pretty young. And so I, I'm different than many, but I will say this. I am still a sinner who was saved by grace. And I still, even though I was raised in a Christian family, I was raised to know Jesus, I still had to make that choice to receive Christ as my Savior at some point in my life. That point for me was at the age of seven, but then the Lord confirmed it when I was in my early 20s and just kind of solidified my faith in him. But there, one of the reasons I was attracted, and I think we have some in the book room back there, some books that Pastor Chuck wrote about the Calvary Chapel movement called The Harvest. This book is what one of the things that really compelled me to become a Calvary pastor because I really liked the fact that God could take guys who had wasted and destroyed their lives, restore them, and then take them and place them into ministry and do wonderful things with their life. And he does it with guys. He does it with the gals. Um, I have a friend in San Diego, Mike McIntosh, who's been pastoring down there at Horizon Christian Fellowship for over 35 years. And he used to be a mechanic for the basically the Hills Angels out there. It may have been them, but some motorcycle gang. And there was a guy in that gang that hated Pastor Mike, at the time he wasn't Pastor Mike, but hated him with a passion. And one day, Mike was tripping on acid, it's, he tells us, and, and a guy uh, took a three fifty seven Magnum and shot it off right next to Mike's head. And he said he walked around for two years thinking that half his brain was blown out. The acid had just tripped him so bad that they thought medically, the doctors said that he would never recover mentally from what had taken place, from the damage that had been done in his life. Although medical science may say one thing, God says, I overrule. And he got a hold of Mike's life. And Mike had went through divorce at the time, um, separated from his family, and God healed Mike first, and then brought his ex-wife at the time back into relationship, restored that marriage. And uh, Pastor Chuck, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, it is said that he is a man who rarely cries, but the day that he remarried Mike and Sandy McIntosh, they say that Chuck had tears streaming from his eyes because he's seeing the restoration, the healing work of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul said, you've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. In Acts chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, Paul gave a little bit of history of what his life was before Jesus. He said, indeed... I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue. I compelled them to blaspheme, 
Being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He said, this was my life before Jesus. I tried to destroy the church of God. Not only had him put into prison, but he voted when they were put to death. He said, I tried to compel them to blaspheme. The interesting thing, when Paul was writing his young disciple, Timothy, who had become a pastor because of Paul's ministry in 1 Timothy 1.13, Paul said, I was the blasphemer. I tried to compel them to blaspheme, to deny the name of Jesus. And Paul said, I was the blasphemer. And so his life prior, his former conduct in Judaism, he persecuted the church beyond measure. He tried to destroy it. In verse 14, he said, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Here's the thing. He was a Jew. He was the up-and-coming Jewish rabbi. He was taught by the best. He himself said, I was taught by Gamaliel, who was one of the leading rabbis of his day. He was the up-and-coming guy. He said, I was more zealous than my contemporaries, the guys who were kind of coming up in school with him. He was at the top of the class. He was the most learned, as we see, he was the most zealous. He attacked the church. But here's the thing. Everything he was doing in that zeal was because of the traditions of his fathers and not because of the truth of the word of God. See, the word that he had learned, the Old Testament, because the New Testament hadn't been written at this time, the word that he had learned had been distorted through the traditions of the fathers. They had taken the pure gospel, the pure word of God, and they had distorted it. And so often in churches today and throughout the history of church, we've had so many who have distorted the word of God and they become zealous, just like Paul was zealous for the traditions of man, but not the traditions of God, not the truth of God's gospel. This is a thing I really love in this whole chapter, verse 15. I I just love this verse because it tells us there that when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, verse 16, to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And I'm going to stop there right now. When it pleased God, this actually blows my mind a little bit because we've already learned about Paul's former conduct. He persecuted the church. He put Christians to death. And here we learn that God all along knew that one day he would be a preacher of the gospel. Now, we would think, why did you allow him to put other believers to death? Now, we're thinking from earthly terms. We're thinking that this life is all that we need and this is all that we desire. But when we think in heavenly terms, What Paul did was allow these believers that were put to death to be ushered into the presence of God. That's not a bad thing. It's actually one of the desires that we have one day. Now, I had mentioned something yesterday just quickly about kind of one of those see you laters. And I said, maybe. And and Lily was like, you're not going anywhere yet. Still want you here today. But in reality, our hope is 
when this flesh is destroyed, when we die, that we will be in the presence of God. And if you desire to be in the presence of God, the only access is through Jesus Christ. But here we learn in verse 15 that God allowed Paul to be a persecutor of the church. He had separated Paul, he said, from his mother's womb, and he called me through his grace, and he revealed Jesus Christ to him. Separated from his mother's womb. This is a great passage that um, counters the abortion industry today because here it tells us where in our nation today through abortion, it tells us that life really doesn't begin until that baby gets spanked by the doctor and begins to cry. Basically, that's what the world wants to tell us. But here the word of God tells us that God knew Paul in his mother's womb and separated him at that time, to be an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's actually drawing on two Old Testament passages in this verse. The first one is God prophesying of Jesus in Isaiah 49.1. So you can write that down, Isaiah 49.1. The second one is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5. So he's drawing from two separate Old Testament passages to compile this verse about his own life where he says, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. In Isaiah 49.1, it says, Listen, old coastlands, to me, and take heed, you people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix of my mother. He has made mention of my name. From the womb, the Lord has called me. That is actually a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ, but it is telling us today that God knows. Paul took it and understood it, that God knew him even before his mom and dad knew him. All they knew is that I'm pregnant, going to have a baby, wonder if it's going to be a boy or girl. They couldn't find out in those days like we can today, but God knew. And then in Jeremiah 1.5, God speaking to Jeremiah, saying to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Now, God takes it back even further. And he said, before your mom and dad were pregnant and they knew that they were going to have a baby, I already knew you. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you and I sanctified you and I ordained you. To be a prophet. Now, verse 15, again, it just amazes me because we see so many, even in our own time, in our own life, we can have some pretty horrific testimonies, but we come to know Jesus and God changes everything. And from that day forward, everything is changed. And God said, I already knew I was going to do that way back here when your mommy found out she was pregnant. I already knew you even before you were conceived. I knew you. And I knew the work that I want to do in you. And I want to tell you today that Christ knows you. He knows who you are today. You may not believe in him yet as your savior, but he knows you. But the moment that you receive him and the moment that you have received him, if you're a believer here today, Christ said, I knew that was going to happen. No surprise to me. Because I knew you in your mother's womb. In fact, I knew you before. I called you and I have ordained you to be my follower, my disciple. I want to challenge you in this one thing. 
The Bible tells us Jesus said that if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. So the Lord is saying you need to take a stand, and you need to let people see it. Now, know that everyone in this church, they are, they are in your court. They're in your favor. You may be nervous, but there are believers praying right now that God will touch hearts. If you are a believer, but your life has been drifting off course, and the Lord has pricked your heart today, and he's telling you it's time to drift back in. You've been kicking against me. I want you back on that path. And you would like prayer. I just, again, would like you to come forward that we can pray for you uh, during this time. So we're just going to give you opportunity as we worship our Lord now. And Father, I pray that you would just be with us, Lord, that your spirit would work in our midst. We thank you for the testimony of Paul. But Lord, I know that you have repeated that testimony in many of our lives. And perhaps today, Lord, you want to begin to repeat it in someone else's life, someone who has never accepted you as their Savior. Today is that day that they have that opportunity. Lord, we just pray that you would work as you will. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.